I've always thought that the longer you spend in front of screens, even though you can be connecting with a lot of people, it can be quite isolating. So I think that spending time in nature is an antidote for that. Nature has always been my sanctuary, my church, my place that I'm just, you feel so relaxed, so free. The word is nature. It's where we are natural. It's where everything, for me, falls into place. Welcome to Freedom Matters, where we explore the intersection of technology, productivity, and digital well-being. I'm your host, Georgie Powell, and each week I'll be talking to experts in productivity and digital wellness. I'll be asking them three questions to get to the heart of what productivity means to them. This week, I'm in conversation with adventurers Jenny Tuff and Alex Rohde. Jenny is currently working on a global challenge to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent. Alex is a long-distance backpacker, mountaineer and lover of wild places. At work, he's a freelance writer and the editor of Sidetrack magazine. Today we'll be talking about going off-grid, our relationships with nature and how getting outdoors can support creativity. So the first thing to do is to say, Alex and Jenny, thank you both so much for joining us on the Freedom Podcast today. It's the first time we've had adventurers and explorers and people who are so in touch with nature on the show. So we're really excited to have you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome to be here. We started with a little introduction to what Alex and Jenny do. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a writer and editor, and I also go kind of backpacking in in the mountains, spend a lot of time in my local area photographing wildlife. And, you know, during normal times, I like to do long distance trails in the hills. I'm editor of Sidetrack magazine, and I write for a number of outdoor magazines here in the UK. I'm quite similar to Alex, we actually get to work together at Sidetracked Magazine, so I'm a writer and an adventurer, which is a really cool, cheesy job title to have. I'm currently working on a project to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent. I only have one left to do, which, COVID permitting, will be done this summer. I also compete in ultra-adventure races and do a lot of different types of human-powered adventures and create content around those stories, so I write and make films and all that kind of stuff. A while back, Alex had reached out to the team at Freedom to tell us how useful the product was and how it had helped him on his creative journey. I asked him to share this story with Jenny. You never told me this, Alex. Oh, right. <laughs> we work together, but I know nothing about your working life. We're so far away from each other. So. <laughs> well, it's. I guess it's kind of a long story, really. I remember the time before the internet took off and smartphones and social media in particular really started to appear when I was at university and I found that I was defenseless against the urge to procrastinate (laughs) and procrastination was a big issue for me throughout university there were loads of distractions on the internet and gradually technology encroached more and more in my experiences of being in the outdoors so my first backpacking trips I would pretty much not even take a phone but gradually I bought a smartphone and you'd be sending tweets from the hill etc etc and before I knew it it was taking over a bit and this also coincided with starting to become a writer about my experiences as well so yeah essentially I started becoming more intentional about it and in 2019 I decided to go completely offline on the Cape Wrath Trail in winter and just 
basically not go on the internet at all and just to see what it actually did to my experience of being in the outdoors and I found it pretty great. I was able to find a completely different kind of level of solitude, I guess, particularly as the, the landscape was so very wild and I took away from that trip the fact that I needed to just control what I did online when I was in the great outdoors. So yeah, since then, I've just tried to set a simple rule. I don't use the internet on my phone when I'm on backpacking trips and I try Ever? to stay off Twitter in the mornings. <laughs> and yeah, the Freedom app helps me with that, essentially. <laughs> I think that's really interesting because for people like you and I, I mean, it's, it's also our jobs and yeah. we both are in this job because we want to share stories of the outdoors. So for anyone listening, Alex's Instagram is like the best nature photography <laughs> Instagram feed ever. And obviously you like sharing that, educating people around the birds that they can see out in England. And so there's that good positive of it. Mm. Also how we earn a living on this planet so that we can go backpacking, but doing it during the adventure or the journey. So are you just mentally balancing that that you're just maybe taking photos or maybe writing little things in your notebook that you're thinking, when I get home, I'll care about what anyone has to say about that. Are you good at compartmentalizing it that way and keeping that boundary alive? Mostly I am. I think I, I did historically struggle with it a lot more, but since my experiences just kind of drawing a line under it and, and saying I'm not going to do it anymore, I have found it far easier to compartmentalize it. I do keep a really detailed trail journal. I take a lot of photos and I am constantly thinking, obviously, about you know how I'm going to share it when I get back, particularly trying to find the narrative of those stories that, that I'm going to write up for, for magazines or, or indeed for books. I think, for me, the act of not... Instagramming it or tweeting it when it happens is really important. Just giving yourself some space to understand what you have actually experienced. That, that for me is quite key because if you see something and then you Instagram it straight away, you haven't processed the experience. And that makes a difference to me. <sighs> oh yeah. I've, I've come back from things and taken six months before I yeah. ever wrote it up. I really admire your approach actually, because I've noticed you're, you're very intentional about how you use Instagram. You know, you go in, you post something very focused and then how it appears to me anyway, is that you're not just constantly browsing it. No, I mean, Instagram especially, I think I'm just so afraid of the mental health aspect. Yeah. And I love my job and I love what I do, but there's just kind of this thought in the back of my mind all the time that this would not be sustainable if I tried to be an influencer yeah. and be a real influencer who's on... I mean, there's no boundaries. They're just on every little part of their life. Like, here's me making breakfast and here's a picture of my boyfriend. And like... <laughs> Everything that has nothing to do with their job, and that's fine, it works, and people really connect with that, but I just know myself, I'm an introvert, and if I expose so much myself, and I'm exposing myself to judgment all the time, and feeling like every activity in my life needs to be snapped the right way and have the right caption, I think I would be commercially far more successful if I could just get over that <laughs> and be online far more, but then there's the mental breakdown that would happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Try to get that balance. That's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. So do you think you've, you've found a good balance for, for you then? Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like, like every now and then I have a little think about my career and where it's going. And I think I, I should do more. I mean, real, real influencers post on Instagram like five times a week yeah. and I do it maybe once or twice. And that one day I'm quite conscious of the way that I'll feel before and after like, you know, I just posted one that was on body image and that's just so hard to get over yourself mm -hmm. and put it up. And I know that even though people are only going to say nice things, it's still going to affect me. And I have to be really aware of the more time I spend mm -hmm. scrolling through the comments 
how that's going to affect my mindset. So yeah, I, I do think my balance has got to a good place as then I can still feed myself yeah. while also <laughs> like not crawling into a cave and crying. <laughs> and for a freelancer, that's, that's all you can hope for, isn't it? <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> between those two things. <laughs> Clearly, both Alex and Jenny have spent some time thinking about their relationship with technology, particularly Instagram, and the impact that it has on their lives. But I was interested, how did they think about their relationship with nature? And did technology have a role to play in that? Nature has always been my sanctuary, my church, my place that I'm just, you feel so relaxed, so free. The word is nature. It's where we are natural. It's where everything, I think, for me, falls into place. The more time you spend outside, the more you realize how good it is for you and how good it is for your overall health. Technology, I always, I think, just had this prejudgment that technology could only be a bad thing for that. But then when I went to run across Kyrgyzstan, this was several years ago, I bought a camera for the very first time. It was always my biggest regret that I never had photos. And so I brought this camera and thought, well, I'll just make a little video thing. Be like, all the cool kids, get a GoPro. <laughs> and I didn't realize how much more connected it would make me to nature, having this camera, mm. because I felt like I had this obligation to stop and take it out and look around me and say, like, how would I frame this? So this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. How would I translate that to everyone at home that they can feel how good I feel right now? I mean, I'm a terrible photographer, but just having a camera and trying, really does connect me. You start to notice way more things yeah. around you because you're trying to zero in a little bit. And, and so I, I really value that. I asked Jenny, was the camera the tipping point or are there other types of tech that similarly enhance her experience of nature? Any type of, I guess, media or art or creativity. So, I mean, obviously I'm more of a writer. Alex and I both do ultralight, which means I'm not taking a big fat book with me. I'm, you know, everything's on my phone. So okay. my phone is everything on an expedition. You know, it's got a compass in it. It's got my maps. It's got my journal. It's got my books, my camera, my phone, if I need to call for help, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. um, the power of a smartphone, as far as ultralight outdoor time goes, I mean, they're they're a game changer oh, yeah. in, in yeah. what you can do. Alex described his relationship with nature slightly differently. For him, it was all about solitude. I guess for me, uh, solitude is really important because like Jenny, I'm, I'm an introvert as well, so I, I need my alone time. Something I've started to realize is that while solitude in nature is, is important, it's not really solitude because you're always surrounded by the creatures that live in nature. So you're surrounded by non-human communities. As Jenny says, once you start to notice more about that, you realise it's almost this attentive kind of communal solitude. That, that's how it is for me anyway. Kind of the more you notice, uh, the more it draws you out of yourself. Whereas I've always thought that the longer you, you spend in front of screens, even though you can be connecting with a lot of people, it can be quite isolating. So I think that spending time in nature is an antidote for that. I do find it really mindful. Photography, again, it's noticing things and it's seeing things you wouldn't have seen otherwise. So I've, I find wildlife photography in particular a, a really mindful experience. You're just looking through the lens at, at some kind of wild creature. You're seeing it in more detail. But you can get the same with a pair of binoculars, to be honest. And I find that the, the longer I spend in nature, particularly long distance backpacking trips, the more nights you're out, the, the deeper you get and the more you shed behind all the mental clutter that you inherit from the civilised world, I suppose. 
So that, mm. that's, that's how it is for me. Although the, the journeys I've done have not been anywhere near as, as long as Jenny's. They're not exactly casual walks, Alex. <laughs> Don't talk yourself down. <laughs> Previously, Alex has opted to explore without his phone. For Jenny, on many of her trips, signal is just not an option. She explained how this makes her feel. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing to have the option just completely removed. Yeah. Because maybe I don't have enough discipline. But yeah, when you actually don't have the option, when you start to think, you know what, maybe I'll just take it off airplane mode because I want to check that one thing or I should have texted that person back and you don't have the option. Yeah. Mm. It's actually really nice. It just forces you to go into that place. So yeah, I, I do really appreciate that. And I notice when I come back into Signal, which might be every four or five days, you think you're just going to pick up your phone and be in a frenzy to catch up, but actually pick it up and you're like, woofed, there's a lot on there. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready. <laughs> you just put it back in your pocket yeah. and just go tell your mom you're alive and then put the phone away. Interesting. There's such a huge freedom to it. Oh my gosh, putting on an out of office reply saying you can't reach me because I'm gone. So you, you don't feel anxious when you no longer have that connectivity? No. And I think a lot of it is because I don't have the option and everyone in my life knows that I don't have the option. So yep. it's not like I've made some anti-social choice it's Jenny's in the back country you won't be able to reach her it's a lovely thing and have there ever been times when I mean I'm sure you've had lots of highs and lows on your adventures I'd love to hear about a specific trip you did or something where maybe you wished you did have contact and you could you couldn't get it I mean have you had those instances yeah I mean a lot of these have been in countries where I also was culturally quite different from the culture that I was moving in so even when you did find people and you found human connection it was still a lot of mental work. I think I'm getting better at it but actually the thing that I stumbled on that really helps is podcasts like downloading podcasts before you go because you, you can listen to a human conversation. And obviously, colleagues of Alex and I have done lots of podcasts, so a lot of them are, I can listen to episodes done by my friends, and it's just quite engaging rather than listening to music or listening to absolutely nothing. Sometimes just having a bit of human conversation and having your brain stimulated is something that I've found can pull me back when I'm out there thinking like, I might be the only person on earth. I haven't spoken to another human in several days. I forget how to speak. I'm losing my language skills. Yeah, I I found that to to be quite nice. I don't know if that's cheating, but I'm good with it. I ran across the Bolivian Andes, and although I ran into people pretty much every day, there was this really overwhelming negativity. Pretty much everyone I met said, you shouldn't be alone out here, you're going to get murdered. And I was told, like everyone I met, I was going to get murdered. That's a really negative thing to have to hear all the time. <laughs> so even when I was around people, they were just increasing the anxiety that I was already going to. I mean, it was already a really hard expedition. It's a high altitude. You are in really dangerous backcountry. Like there were a lot of things to go wrong. And then to just have the human population be like, go home, gringa, you're going to get hurt. You shouldn't be doing this. I just felt really isolated because everyone around me just thought the worst of what I was doing and wanted me to go home and so you're the only one who thinks this is a good idea and you already stick out I mean me this tall white woman and all this running gear in like Quechua and Aymara villages in the Bolivian Andes it was quite isolating and that took me 18 days to go through and yeah I think it did wear me down I was quite aware of how antisocial I was really starting to get just like going into my own little mind cave like Hmm. I'm alone 
It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because so often we blame disconnection and isolation on technology, but actually we can do it to each other face to face. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We just haven't had the chance for a little while, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Alex, so tell us a bit more about your detox because you actually decided to do that, right? Yeah, so it was a very deliberate choice. For me, it was quite artificial because unlike some of the the, the wilder parts of the world, there is Sigmund in the Scottish Highlands. It's a bit patchy, but I did have to put my phone in airplane mode and kind of fiddle with the settings so that I couldn't go online. And it did require discipline because at any time I could go back into those settings and go online. So it, it was very much an artificial exercise and I carried a um, satellite tracker that I'd send pings every day so that my, my wife and family would know that I was all right. I did actually wish that I had the convenience of the internet quite early on in the trail, actually. I had a, a bit of a shelter disaster. So I'd been sent a, a new tent to a review for, for the magazine and um, I hadn't had a chance to test it because it came really late. And <laughs> it had this fancy breathable fabric in the fly sheet which just didn't work. It just, just straight up didn't work. So the first night <laughs> down with icy rain and the water was basically just coming through the fly sheet and I ended up with a puddle on the floor. So after about three nights of this, I thought, well, I'm going to get hypothermia. <laughs> so yeah. I needed to get replacement tents sent up. And there was me thinking, well, you know, I could instant message Hannah and I could get her to send it. I was like, oh no, I can't do that. Uh, so I ended up having to use my satellite communicator and saying, can you please send me up my spare tent? <laughs> and that wasn't even that remote, you know, only a few hours from the nearest road. But it really did make me think even that early in the trip. There are times when, first of all, the very presence of the satellite communicator changed my behaviour because had I not mm. had it and were I in somewhere significantly more remote, I'd have just had to have coped and I'd have had to have just got soggy and dealt with it. But it was almost a digital crutch that I knew that I could that I could use if I needed to. And I did use it. And to be fair, it could have been nasty, you know. It would have been unpleasant at uh, at the very least. <laughs> Multiple at days the in least. a soggy, soggy sleeping bag. Not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, that's amazing though. But you, you held that for three days. So I think that's pretty impressive. And it's still, you still didn't take it off airplane mode, which I'm also really impressed yes, by. Yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> Finally, as writers, how does being disconnected in the great outdoors support their thinking process? Well, yeah, I mean, for me, writing and, and walking are pretty much one and the same. So I, I really can't write without that process of walking because... I find that if I just sit down in front of a blank page, what I produce is rubbish. I have to do the thinking first. And I the best way for me of, of thinking is, is to go out and walk and not really think about it, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of my best mm-hmm. thinking is very much unconscious. And it's just something I do when I'm on foot or when I'm out for a run. And with that kind of unconscious turning over of ideas, I find that I already know what I need to write when I sit down. Whereas when I'm when I've been spending too much time in desk work, not necessarily writing work, but kind of other stuff, when I've not been out walking as much as I should, I just can't get the words out. Or if I do, they're rubbish. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really do need that time. Yeah, I'm really glad that you said that as well, because I was just thinking, oh my writing process? Oh no, I don't have a process. I'm <laughs> to have one. Um, 
think the biggest thing I've learned about creativity is that it's not a tap that you can turn on and off. You know, the amount of hours you spend on your laptop does not correlate to the number of good words oh, yeah. you type. Yeah. It's more like a bank. And I feel like every time I go out on my bike or for a walk or a run or even just doing yoga outside rather than inside, something like that, that tops up my bank account. And then I can make another withdrawal. Like most of the time it is just, oh, today's rubbish. I'm just going to go for a run. Screw it. And I just go outside and halfway through that run, I'll go, got it. I know what I'm going to do. And then you have to run home as quickly as you can to finish writing the piece before you lose it again. (laughs) (laughs) Alex and Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was an absolute pleasure. You are true inspiration, I think, to a lot of people out there. Um, We're really so grateful that you joined us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on Freedom Matters. If you like what you hear, then subscribe on your favourite platform. And until next time, we wish you happy, healthy and productive days.